Welcome to this verse-by-verse Bible teaching from Calvary Queen Creek in Arizona with Assistant Pastor Darrell Logan. We hope you're blessed by listening. Romans 10.17 says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. For more information, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org. So right now, as we prepare to continue our worship uh, by studying His Word, uh, let's bow our hearts before Him. And we'll see what the Lord has to say to us tonight. Oh, Father, we thank you once again. Thank you for your blessings. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. I pray that I would decrease and you increase at this time. I pray that you help every single person on this campus, every person who's viewing online, to have open and receptive hearts to the work of your spirit and to your holy word. I pray for the gift of teaching, and I pray for a fresh filling of your Holy Spirit. Father, we give this night to you, and once again, we ask that you be glorified in Jesus' precious name. Amen. So the title of our lesson tonight is Perfect Timing. Perfect Timing. And we'll be studying Mark chapter 5, verses 21 through 43. Perfect timing. Now, having good timing is an important part of our lives. We have appointments to keep. We have bills to pay. And of course, we have places to go. And so we need to have at least good timing. You know, our timing of when we leave for a destination, for example, That timing could affect how many traffic lights we get stopped at. Our timing in dealing with a health scare could affect whether or not someone survives. Our timing of turning in a job application or or maybe a reference for someone who's searching for a job, our timing in submitting those things could, of course, affect somebody's livelihood somebody's career. Of course, as humans, we don't always have perfect timing. We don't even always have good timing. But rest assured that we serve a God who does. We serve a God who always has perfect timing. And tonight, we're going to glean some spiritual nuggets from this passage of Scripture that we see in Mark chapter 5, verses 21 through 43. And what we're going to see in the Scripture tonight is going to remind us of the fact that we serve a God who has perfect timing, and He always has perfect timing. And so we turn our attention to Mark 5, verse 21, and it says, Now when Jesus had crossed over again by boat to the other side. So now he's crossed over to the western shore of the Sea of Galilee, most likely at a city named Capernaum. But while he gathered that, while he crossed over and landed there again, it says that a great multitude, this crowd of people, gathered to him. Luke chapter 8 verse 40 tells us that that people were actually waiting on him. 
And it says back in Mark 5, 21, that Jesus was by the sea. Again, it's really a lake, this lake of Galilee, Sea of Galilee, whichever you prefer. But in verse 22, it says, And behold, one of the rulers of the synagogue came, Jairus by name. And when he saw him, when Jairus saw Jesus, he fell. He bowed at his feet. And he begged Jesus earnestly, saying, My little daughter lies at the point of death. And he said, Come and lay your hands on her, that she may be healed, and she will live. So Jesus went with Jairus. Matthew 9 tells us that Jesus' disciples, his, his followers went with him as well. And this great multitude, this crowd, followed Jesus and they thronged him. They crowded him. They were bumping into him. So no doubt that would slow down his walk to Jairus' house. Now the synagogue ruler, which Jairus was, he was responsible for the worship service arrangements in the synagogue. And he was actually responsible for the building itself. And as we see in this scripture, despite his position as a ruler of the synagogue, despite his responsibilities, this man did not mind falling at the feet of Jesus to beg for his help on behalf of his daughter who was at the point of death. And like Jesus, when, when we are in a desperate situation, a desperate position, we don't care about how we look. To anyone else. Jairus certainly didn't. Yeah, I had this position, he must have thought. But you know what? My daughter is in need. And Jesus is the only solution that I know of. And so he didn't care about how silly he looked. There's many of you in similar situations, maybe not a child at the point of death, but maybe some other emergency or humbling position. And you couldn't care less about how you look to the observers. You couldn't care less about how you look to family members who don't understand why you have, why you have faith in this Jesus of the scriptures. We couldn't care less when we're in a desperate situation. Verse 25 picks up and says, Now a certain woman... So now we have a new character in this true story. It says that she had a flow of blood for 12 years. And she suffered many things from many physicians. And she had spent all that she had. And, and it says that she was no better, but rather grew worse. And when she heard about Jesus, she came behind him in the crowd and she touched his garment. She touched his outer robe. Matthew 9, 20 says that she touched the hem or the border of his garment. For she said back in Mark 5, 28, if only I may touch his clothes, I shall be made well. And immediately the fountain of her blood was dried up. That blood flow had dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her suffering, of the affliction. 
So this woman, of course, had a flow of blood. This woman had a hemorrhage or this constant bleeding, and it was probably from a chronic menstrual disorder. And based on information we see in the text, she, like Jairus was, was in a desperate situation. Like many of us are in a desperate situation, so was she. But this woman with this flow of blood had heard about Jesus and came behind him, and she touched the hem of his outer robe. And the Greek word behind the word hem is krospidon. It is the extremity or prominent part of a thing, the edge, skirt, margin. That is, it is the fringe or the tassel, border or hem of this outer garment. And one source says, according to the Mosaic law, every Jew was obliged to wear a fringe or tassel at the end of the four corners of his outer garment. One thread of each tassel to be blue. And these tassels were to be to them a continual or perpetual reminder of the law of God and of their duty to keep the law of God. And you can reference that in Numbers chapter 15 and Deuteronomy chapter 22. But this was the hymn, those tassels that the woman touched, perhaps to her supposing that there was some kind of virtue in those tassels, in that hymn. And of course, this is what Jesus would have had on the hem of his outer robe. Another source tells us that it was a popular belief that a person's dignity and power extended to what he wore. And so maybe this is why this woman had that type of attitude, that faith, if I could just touch his garment. I will be healed. This blood flow will stop. This woman took advantage of the opportunity of Jesus being in town. And I wonder if, if there's somebody who is taking advantage of the opportunity right now to touch Jesus, to touch him in faith. For someone who's not a believer, you never put your faith in Christ would encourage you to take advantage of the opportunity to touch Jesus Christ in faith and receive the salvation, receive the spiritual healing that he offers. Because we'll never know when he'll be in our area, so to speak, again. In other words, we'll never know when you're going to hear another preaching about Jesus again. Because as the Lord told me in in 1997, before I received him, and I was going back and forth with him, he told me that tomorrow is not promised. As I was putting him off and I was trying to argue with him, going about my own plans and what I wanted to do with my life, he knew how to shut me up. He said, tomorrow is not promised. So I wonder if there's anybody who's willing to take advantage of the opportunity to touch him in faith while right now you hear the word of God being preached and not just here, but all over the airwaves, on the television, from various pastors and teachers from different churches who are teaching the word of God. Are you taking the opportunity to touch Jesus Christ by faith just like this woman did? Because one day that opportunity is going to be over. 
And it tells us in Isaiah 55, verse 6, it says, seek the Lord while he may be found. In other words, seek the Lord while he is in your area. Seek the Lord while he is giving you an opportunity to come to him, allowing you to still live. And this word goes out to those who need to rededicate their lives to Christ. In other words, give a recommitment to Jesus. This word is for you as well. Call upon him. Call upon the Lord while he is near. And back in Mark 5 and verse 30, it says, And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that power had gone out of him, he turned around in the crowd and he said, Who touched my clothes? But his disciples said to him, You see the multitude thronging you. They're crowding you. And a bunch of people, no doubt, are bumping into you. And you say, Who touched me? Luke 8, 46 says, but Jesus said, no, somebody touch me for I perceived power going out from me. You see, this was no ordinary bump that Jesus felt. Jesus knows the difference between uh, an ordinary bump and a touch of faith. God knows someone who is just intellectually saying that I touch you. Intellectually, I know that you exist. Intellectually, I know that there was a Jesus of Nazareth. No, he knows the difference between that and the person who's touching him with the touch of faith. It was a touch of faith that had released his power into their bodies. And in this case, the woman with the issue of blood, it was a touch that that allowed his power to flow from him and to heal her of her flow of blood. And according to the scriptures, this is something, this faith, this touch of faith is something that pleases him. Because Hebrews eleven six tells us that without faith, it is impossible to please God. It's impossible to please him. For he who comes to God You must believe that he is. You must believe that he exists, that he is real, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Oh, not half-heartedly seeking him, not doing just a bump in the throng, in the crowd, just assenting to the fact that, oh, there must be a God, there must be a creator. No, not that kind of bump, Not, not that kind of intellectual assent. But no, this is about faith. Put in your whole confidence and trust in him. That is the faith that pleases him. In verse 32 in Mark 5, it says, And he looked around to see her who had done this thing. But this woman who was fearing and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, she came and fell before him and told him the whole truth. And Luke chapter 8 adds the fact that she did this in the presence of all the people. And then in verse 34, it says, And he said to her, Daughter, your faith, your personal trust and confidence in me, in Jesus, has made you well. He told this woman to, to go in peace and be healed of your affliction. But as you look at these details in verses 32 through 34, you you wonder why was this woman 
fearing and trembling. See, after realizing that her blood had stopped flowing, did this chronic disorder have been resolved after realizing that and after realizing that Jesus noticed that something had happened, some power went out from him, that someone touched him. After realizing those things, this woman knew that her cover had been blown. She was hoping to use the crowd as a cover, as a cloak, and get in and out with her healing. But as she answered Jesus and told him the whole truth, in the midst of telling him that truth, it meant telling Jesus in front of all of these people about her condition. And her condition was an embarrassing thing for her to share because according to Leviticus 15, she was considered to be unclean. That is ceremonially unclean. She could not take part in the worship services. So she was considered unclean. So she would have been embarrassed to share this about herself. What, were her, what her problem was, this, this flow of blood. The scriptures even tell us in Luke 15 that whoever touched whatever she sat on or whatever she lied on, they too will become unclean, that they wouldn't be able to participate in the worship services that the nation of Israel participated in. And so she was seen as a social outcast and and most likely should not have been around this crowd of people, but now she has to confess, she has to tell the truth to Jesus about what happened, about her old condition. At this point, it's an old condition. And the healing she received from touching the hem of his garment. But when Jesus called her out, one has to ask the question, was Jesus trying to embarrass her? And the question, uh, the answer is, of course not. He was not trying to embarrass this woman. In fact, Jesus did not want this miracle that this woman had experienced to be kept secret. He wanted to use this woman as an example of faith. And so for us, it's, it's an awesome thing to share with others what God has done for us. It's an awesome thing to share with other people how God has, has saved us, how he took us out of that miry clay and he set us upon a solid rock of how we used to walk in the crooked line apart from the word of God. And now by the power of his spirit, by his grace, we are walking in the straight line and it's all because of him. We should not be ashamed to tell our story because it's really his story about what he has done in us and through us. And so he wanted to use her as an example of faith and not to embarrass her. But at the same time, remember that Jairus was with him. He was going to his house. And so this would have played as a booster to Jairus' faith to hear what has happened to this woman. You see, Jairus asked that Jesus would come to his place and touch his daughter so that she would not die. But this woman did not ask for a touch. Instead, she said, no, I'm going to touch him, touch his clothes at least, and I will be healed. And so are you ashamed to share with what God has done for you? 
That it's not something to be ashamed about, but it could be used as a blessing to other people. See, as we can imagine and as we can tell from the story, it was obviously in God's will to, to heal this lady physically on this side of heaven, of this side of eternity. It was his will to release his power and heal her physically, to keep her physical life going. But of course, the scriptures will show us and we can look all around us with all the saints who have gone on to eternity that it is not always in his will to heal us physically because sometimes it is in his will to bring his children home. And if he continues to heal us physically, then we'll be stuck in these bodies that are receiving the curse from the presence of sin in the world. We'll be stuck with this sin nature and never get that glorified body. So yes, he works his purposes out through this physical healing. And it was his will to do that in this lady's life at this time. But sometimes God says it's time to call my family, my children home. And so rest assured, while it may not be always in his will to heal people physically, it is always in his will to heal. And that is eternally to receive that ultimate healing. And so if he does not heal a believer on this side of heaven, and I know many of us have had believers in our families, in, in this church, our spiritual family, who have gone on to be with the Lord. They didn't receive physical healing, but rest assured and be comforted in the fact that they have received that ultimate healing, that healing to the point where there will never be a flow of blood again. They, were, they will never experience pain again. They will never get sick again. So they have received that ultimate healing, something that we look forward to. But in this situation, the woman participated in the will of God. She participated in the will of God by exercising her faith. Now, there are some things that God wills to do apart from us. So I don't care how much faith you have or don't have. I don't care how hard you pray or don't pray. For example, there, there's one thing that, that God is willing to do regardless of all those things, and that is for Jesus to come back. And so there's some things that he wills to do, like Jesus coming back, that is going to happen regardless of our faith. But then there's some things that will require our faith. God is requesting our participation. And this is what this woman did. This is what was commendable about this woman. She had faith that in just touching his garment, she will be healed. And of course, she reached out and, and she touched it. I, just, I do want to note that not only did she receive physical healing, but I believe and other Bible scholars believe that, that she also received salvation, spiritual healing as well. Notice the use of the word daughter. She is now in Jesus' family. And just to get back to that topic of faith and of how God sometimes in some situations would require us to participate by faith. Just to get back to that topic, I just, I just wonder if there's anything that any of us are leaving on the table that God has willed to do that we're, that we're leaving there, that we're not experiencing because we're not participating by faith. And so if by faith we don't open up the door for God's power to be released into our lives and to our situations, if we don't participate by faith and opening up that door, then, 
Many of us are going to be stuck in our situations. Very situations we've been praying about so hard. In verses 35 and 36, it says that while Jesus was still speaking, some came from the ruler of the synagogue's house. Remember, his name was Jairus. And they told him that your daughter's dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? You can leave Jesus alone now. I know he was your, your only hope, but you know what? Your, your daughter's dead now. It, there's no reason to trouble him any longer. And as soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not be afraid, but only believe. And he permitted, he allowed no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. And then it says he came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and he saw a tumult. There were actually flute players there as well, as Matthew 9 tells us. But he saw those along with the flute players who wept and they wailed loudly in mourning. And when he, in verse 39, came in, he said to them, why are you making this commotion and why are you weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they ridiculed him. They made fun of Jesus. But when he had put them all outside, he took the father. He took Jairus. He took the mother of the little girl and those who were with them, right? Peter, James, and John. And he entered where the child was lying. And so this group of mourners would have included professional wailers. And they were paid at that time to attend funerals to lead the family and friends in mourning the death of a loved one. And of course, as I mentioned, this was a customary practice at that time. This was not uncommon during this time. But Jesus explained to them that, look, the girl is sleeping. And the term sleep is also used in other places in the New Testament to refer to believers who have died. And this word sleep, is actually a proper term for believers who have died because that means, that is a signal that for the believer, death is not the end of the story. Just like death was not the end of the story for this little girl. And so sleep is a proper term for for her and for us. But notice how those who mourned, how they laughed at Jesus, how they made fun of Jesus. And there are those today in this world, in our lives, our personal lives, who are mourning and complaining about the state of the world, about the state of our country, about the state of our families, about the state of our churches. They'll mourn, they will complain about it, they'll cry about it. But when you bring up something biblical, when you give the God point of view, the biblical or spiritual point of view of how to resolve this issue or to explain what's really going on, well, they're going to ridicule you as well. Just as they ridiculed Jesus as he explained the situation that, no, she's, she's just sleeping. She's going to be awakened. 
So people will laugh us to scorn. They'll, they'll ridicule us as well when they see things that are going on in this country right now. And we say, hey, you know what? What's really going on based on the word of God, based on God's point of view, based on the spiritual point of view, what's really going on is that, hey, this is a spiritual battle. They're going to look at you and ridicule you. But we can't expect people who do not have the spirit of God to understand spiritual things. They're not going to discern spiritual things. And so the solution to the problem is to share the gospel with them in hopes that they will repent and receive Jesus Christ. And of course, be born again, receiving the new nature from God. Verse 41 in Mark 5, it says, Then he took the child by the hand, and he said to her, Talitha kumi, which is translated from the Aramaic language, Little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl arose and walked, for she was 12 years of age. Luke 8:55 explains it this way. He says, Then her spirit returned. And she arose immediately. And so as I mentioned last week, physical death occurs when the soul or spirit leaves the body. But for this young lady who was asleep, who had died momentarily, her spirit returned when Jesus spoke the phrase Talitha Kumi. And the people were overcome with great amazement. Specifically, Luke 8.56 says that her parents were astonished at what happened. But he commanded them in verse 43, strictly that no one should know it and that something should be given to this little girl, this little 12-year-old girl to eat. No one should know it, but guess what? In Matthew 9, 26, it tells us that the report of this went out into all that land. So somebody told it. Somebody gave up the news. You see, Jesus didn't want people to follow him for the wrong reasons. There were different people in the crowd, people who were truly seeking him, and there were people who just wanted to see and experience miracles. But the word of what had happened has spread out. And so in our lesson tonight, we saw two miracles. We saw one miracle that addressed the needs of a woman who had a flow of blood, a chronic disorder. So we saw one miracle addressing that, and we saw the other miracle addressing the situation of the little girl. And she was at the point of death and, of course, ended up dying. But both of their lives, as you pay attention and as we really dig into the details of the narrative tonight, both of their stories, this, this woman and this little girl, show that their lives and their problems had actually intersected. We see that their lives, their stories, their, their problems were actually 12 years in the making. The scriptures tell us that the woman has suffered as long as the little girl's lifespan. For during this time, during this 12 years, this, this woman had experienced some emotional highs and she experienced some emotional lows based on the physician's recommendations and what they were doing to her. She endured experiments on her body. They practiced on her body to try to fix her condition. 
In this 12 years time, this woman was ceremonially unclean and and she would have been a social outcast. No friends couldn't be around people. If they touched her, they would be unclean. 12 years, this woman experienced this. This woman was financially broke, struggling, had nothing to show for all of the money that she had spent to get her health in order. Instead, the scriptures tell us that her situation, her health had gotten even worse. Twelve years in the making. And while this woman was suffering for 12 years, this, this same little girl was approaching her teenage years. And we don't know much about this little girl, but we do know that she was 12 years old. And we know that she was an only daughter, as we find out in Luke 8:42, the only daughter of Jairus. And when you can imagine her being the only daughter, the only girl, you can, you can imagine how much they spoiled her. These parents spoiled her. You can imagine how much they had adored her. And you can tell that based on Jairus' response to Jesus and how he begged Jesus to help her, you can tell that he loved his daughter very much. We do know that much about her. We know that she had a health condition that brought her to the point of death in her 12th year. But everything as as we consider the fact that their lives intersected in year number 12, what we find that is that everything regarding both of their lives had fell into place at the perfect time. See, it was perfect timing when Jesus crossed back over to their area. It, it was perfect timing when, when he left that area where he had healed the demoniac the person who was possessed by the demons. It was perfect time. And when he left that area and crossed back over to the western shore of the Sea of Galilee, it was perfect timing for Jesus to get back into their area where people were waiting for him. Oh, it was perfect timing with the fact that Jairus was in the, the right place at the right time to make his request known to Jesus. It was perfect timing that as Jesus walked on his way to Jairus's house to work this miracle in Jairus's daughter's life, it was perfect timing that as he was on his way there, that the woman with the issue of blood heard about Jesus. And it was perfect timing by the way that this woman had heard about Jesus. And it was perfect timing for this woman to be at the right place at the right time. This crowd was moving just slow enough for her to mix in. And so she was at the right place at the right time in the right position to touch the right place on the hem of his garment. And both Jairus and the woman with the flow of blood, they, they realized that they were out of options. Guess what? At the perfect time, they realized that all of their options had run out. And while Jesus had interacted with this woman who, who had been healed by touching his garment in faith, Jairus received the news about his daughter's death. And so to Jairus, he's not thinking that this is perfect timing. 
Oh, no, he's thinking that it was too late right now for Jesus to help him with this request to help his daughter to prevent her from dying. And so maybe in Jairus' mind, he was thinking that if it were not for this woman getting in the way, my, my daughter would be alive and I wouldn't receive this news. Or maybe he was thinking if Jesus, you would have sped up. This wouldn't have happened or if this crowd, if all of these people were not here getting in our way, my daughter wouldn't have died. And so maybe to him, I'm sure that he thought that this was not perfect timing. But what was a request to heal his daughter? It ended up being something else amazing as we see in our text. It ended up being a miracle of him raising his daughter from the dead. And so from God's point of view, and and many times not our point of view or Jairus' point of view, but from God's point of view, things were falling into place according to his timing. And so the miracles we see in our story tonight took place at, guess what, the perfect time. Now remember that there were two different purposes to these miracles. One purpose to one miracle is to show Jesus' power over sickness. He had recently shown his power over demons. Now he showed his power over sickness when this lady reached out in faith and she was healed. But now, remembering the other purpose of the miracles that were shown tonight. The purpose of the second miracle was to show now his power over death. And so while many may think that how was that perfect timing if this little girl died, it was perfect timing because his purpose was not to heal her before she died. Speaking of the little girl, his purpose was to raise her back to life because he wanted to show his power over death. And so in that sense, according to the purposes that he had for these miracles, yes, it was perfect timing. And for him to show that he had power over death, somebody had to die. And he didn't fail. He didn't fail to raise her back to life. And so this woman had waited, getting back to that woman with the issue of blood, she had waited for 12 years. And Jairus had waited, maybe not as long, but he waited for this crowd to get out of the way and for Jesus to put some pep in his step and get to his daughter. Maybe he didn't wait as long as the woman, but again, he was still waiting. And so I want to ask all of us tonight, what have we been waiting for? What have you been waiting for. Maybe you have some ongoing issues, just like the woman had an ongoing issue of the flow of blood. What is an ongoing issue in your life that that you've been waiting for, that you've been praying for, that you have spent maybe all of your money on, that you have gone from one physician or one expert to the next and nothing worked, but everything seemed to get worse. What are you waiting for? What ongoing issue, what ongoing flow are you experiencing? Or maybe I should ask this question, what, what, what is dying in your life 
that you need to be revived or what has died in your life that you need to be resuscitated because this miracle was really a resuscitation of a dead little girl. And I use resuscitation in place of resurrection because resurrection is somebody being raised to life never to die again. But nevertheless, she was resuscitated. She was brought back to life. So is there anything in your life that you're waiting on to be resuscitated, to be brought back to life? And better yet, are you, are you ready to give up? Are you in that position of a gyrus when they brought back the news that said, hey, you know what? Your daughter is dead. Leave Jesus alone. I know you wanted her to make it through and not die, but, but she's dead. Don't bother the teacher any further. Are we in that position to where we're almost at the brink of giving up? Some of us, we, we give up too quickly. And sometimes the people in our ear contribute to that, just like the people in Jairus' ear contributed to the point where he was afraid. How do I know that he was afraid? Because Jesus said, do not be afraid, only believe. If you believe, if you have faith, that automatically dispels fear. It can't coexist. So what are we fearing? What are we ready to give up on? Are there any, is there anybody in our ear contributing to that feeling that we have of giving up? And as the worship team takes the stage, I just want to share with you that, that when God lands on your shore, when God lands on your side of the shore, then guess what? It will be right on time. It will be perfect timing. What do I mean if when God lands on my shore, that means when he lands in the situation in your life, when he lands in the area of your life that you've been waiting for to get resolved, when he lands there, when he arrives, it will be not a second too late. It will be not a second too soon, but it'll be perfect timing. And many people know that in high school, I played a couple years of football and I mostly ran track, so I was more of a track runner who played football than the other way around. But in football, there's such a thing as perfect timing when it comes to a pass completion. And that occurs, that perfect pass, that perfect completion occurs when that, that ball, that football is thrown in a timely manner. And it lands in the wide receiver's hands on time. And when that happens, when that perfect timing with that pass occurs, there's, there's no chance of an interception. In other words, the other team getting the ball. There's no chance for the ball to be thrown too far or to be underthrown when there's a perfect pass thrown with perfect timing. Not too soon, not too late. And to make sure that this timing is right when this pass is thrown, when this completion or for this completion to be made, what needs to happen is that the receiver, the one who's going out for a pass, needs to run at a certain speed. They need to make their cuts and their breaks at a certain time. 
Timing is involved with the receiver. Timing is involved with the quarterback, the one who's throwing the ball. And the one who's throwing the ball needs to throw it not where the receiver is, not where the receiver was. The, the quarterback needs to throw it where the receiver is going to be. And that's what we would call perfect timing or a, a perfect pass completion that occurs on time. And I just want to suggest to you that, that God from eternity, so to speak, God from eternity has already thrown the pass of whatever miracle he's going to work in your life. God from eternity before even time began has already thrown the pass to the solution or solutions in your life. He's already thrown it from eternity. And so whenever and however it lands... Whatever place in, in time it lands in your life, it's going to be perfect timing. Oh, that, that past that God has thrown from eternity, that past of his solutions to your issues, that, that past of his miracles that's been thrown from eternity. When it lands, it's, it's not going to be thrown behind where you are. It's going to be thrown exactly at the spot God knew you would be in. The timing is going to be perfect. The timing will be right before you break. The timing will be right before you give up. Where that pass of the miracle, that pass from eternity of that solution that God has for you. Is going to land right before you break. Right before you give up. Right before you throw away your Bible. Right before you decide to stop going to church. Right before you stop fellowshipping with the saints. God knows your breaking point and it's going to come right on time. Right where you're at that point where you're ready to, to give up on everybody else. And, and rely solely on him right at that perfect point. That's where that pass of that miracle thrown from eternity is going to land. And, and it's going to be perfect timing. When every resource is gone and you get to that place of, hey, I can't depend on other people. I can't depend on myself. I can't depend on this organization. Now you are in the right place for that past to land that was thrown from eternity to land right there in your hands and resolve your problem. Right where your faith needs to be. That past of that solution that God has already thrown, that God has already figured out before time began, is going to land right where he wants it. And so my question, once again, just to go back to that question, who are you listening to? As we're waiting for whatever it may be, who are you listening to that's encouraging you to give up? It's going to work out in God's perfect timing. Oh, Father, we thank you for tonight. We thank you for your word. We thank you that you're always on time. And Lord, we thank you for the body. We thank you for the blood of Jesus. As we celebrate communion tonight, we remember the death of your son on that cross. 
who took our place. And Lord, when you sent your son into this world, of course, that was at the right time in your sight. Jesus came at the right time. And so, Lord, we, we thank you for that great sacrifice. We thank you for that holy blood that was shed on Calvary's cross. That same blood that, that makes forgiveness of sins and a relationship with you possible. And so tonight, Lord, if there's any sin in our lives, we, we ask you to, to point that out to us. And we ask you to forgive us. We ask for a restoration of fellowship with you. As you all evaluate and pray about your walk right now, making sure that we don't take communion in an unworthy manner. You know, just allow God to, to speak to you. And if there's no sin, praise the Lord. But as you see fit, feel free to come to the front or go to the back of the sanctuary and take the elements, bring it back to your seat, pray with yourself, you, you and the Lord, and, or, or maybe with your spouse, with your family. But an awesome time to self-evaluate, self-examine. An awesome time to have our fellowship with the Lord restored. An awesome time to remember that great sacrifice. So as you partake of that bread, it reminds us, symbolizes the body of Christ. Remember that his body was broken for us. And as we partake of that cup of juice that represents his blood, remember that that blood was shed for you and thank him for it. And so as I step down from the stage and we go into the communion part of our service, I just want to thank you in this room and those who joined us online. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for your prayers. And uh, we, we still solicit your prayers and, and we're praying for you as well. So again, thanks for joining us. May you have a blessed week. May God use you. May God keep you. And we love you. God bless. Thank you for listening to this teaching from God's Word. If you have any questions, would like to request prayer, or want more information about our church and how you can experience the love and hope of Jesus Christ in your life, 
please visit calvaryqueencreek.org.